Thank you for listening to Wolfcast and Pod, the episode-by-episode breakdown of Angel the Television series. We will be discussing each episode in detail, so we have no concern for spoilers and the like. Please enjoy. I'm sorry. Did you say something? Angel's an obstacle to everything that we do. Give me one good reason why we can't just kill him. Because Angel is a major player. In business. In the apocalypse. Oh, that. The prophecies all agree that when the final battle is waged, he plays a key role. Good for him. Which side he's on is the gray area. And we're going to continue making it as gray as possible. Works for me. Until then, his growing obsession with the two of you, the increasing possibility that to scratch that itch, he'll go as far as to kill you, well, that could actually play in the firm's favor. message from the higher powers it's another episode of wolfcast and pod the episode by episode breakdown of angel the television series provided by me ruben and joining me on the other line your friend and mine kara hey it's what we do how's it going kara (laughs) things are good how are things going with you ruben i mean every day is just a blessing and a joy (laughs) um it's important that our listeners know that I'm never sad. It's just a <laughs> unique fact about me. Because sadness is a character flaw. <laughs> um, Basil and I just recorded an episode of Definitely Doomed, where a character uh, says, um, crying is girlfriend blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like a good gaslighting. Yeah. That's great. It's commentary. They're not saying it straight-faced. Okay. <laughs> Thankfully. It's a Jane Espenson episode, so you know it's on point. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> nice. Uh, that's, a, that's a little bit on the nose then, I guess. <laughs> Yikes. And yet, it really only came to mind Basil's attention on most recent uh, view- viewing, or I guess some of the subtler parts of it, that... Uh, It's really pointing out one character's misogyny a lot earlier than we had thought. (laughs) Like, oh, that character becomes misogynistic slowly over, you know, end of season five and uh, season six. And it's like, no, they're right off the bat. They're terrible. (laughs) Anyways. um, Perfect. Speaking of people who are not terrible, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Blood Money today. And it's your turn to give us the plot. People who are not terrible. Interesting. Interesting. I feel like everybody's... (laughs) I feel like Anne is still terrible a little bit. No, No, she accepts. I'll get into it. We'll get into that, actually. Um, Not the most terrible, but still not not doing the right thing. 
Um, so we find Gunn and Wes annoyingly playing Risk and hanging out around Cordelia's place, uh, waiting for her to have a vision. Cue a vision <laughs> to a two-headed, fire-breathing demon in a sewer. Uh, so Gunn and Wes run toward heroism and uh, comedy. <laughs> Meanwhile... <laughs> Angel bumps into a familiar-looking woman while brooding down the street. He knocks her over, including her box of goods for the teen center where she works. At the hotel, we see that Angel has snagged her wallet and also has handfuls of photos of her, some of them including Lindsay. So Angel confronts Merle, the demon, looking for info on the teen center lady, and it seems she's connected to Wolfram and Hart, who run the shelter pro bono and heavily fund it. Angel heads to the teen shelter to talk to the woman, whose name is Anne, who sings Wolfram and Hart's praises for being so generous. She talks about the upcoming Highway Robbery Charity Ball, <laughs> which is a really weird premise for a charity ball, where celebrities pretend to rob the guests of their donations. Um, a big demon named Boone also pays Merle a separate visit, and he's looking for Angel. Uh I guess this is act two. Angel pops up in Lila's car to let her know that he's not playing by any rules, just like Wolfram and Hart hasn't been up until this point. Lila talks to Lindsay and explains that she's really concerned about Angel's behavior when Boone pops into the office unannounced, offering to help the two deal with their Angel problem. There's something about a grudge over a girl back in the 1920s in Juarez. <laughs> Angel pays another visit um, to Anne and lets her know that he's been stalking her. But wait, for a reason, with the intention to warn her about Wolfram and Hart, which he does pretty poorly. Lindsay and Boone show up, uh, and a demon fight ensues. Angel takes a beating and runs off. He waits for Lindsay and Boone to leave and returns with a tape for Anne. Ostensibly, it's proof of Wolfram and Hart's uh, baddiness. At the ball, Angel and Boone announce their presence in a brawl just after the donations are collected. Lindsay pats down Angel in search of the tape with no avail, and it's revealed that he and Boone, Angel and Boone that is, were both in cahoots. Anne pops the tape into the AV system, but it's just uh, addition tapes for Cordy and oddly Wesley prancing around in his underwear. <laughs> There wasn't actually any evidence of an incriminating nature on the tape, but Lindsay and Lila betrayed and embarrassed themselves by believing the tape's content was damning and running around to stop it from being played. So they collect themselves and realize that in the chaos, the money has gone missing. Lindsay and Lila's uh, bald, bespeckled superior, Nathan Reed, <laughs> reprimands them, explaining that they're an embarrassment to the firm, because they lost the donations, but also because they hired an assassin who was luckily in league with Angel. Because Angel is an important part of the apocalypse, therefore he's invaluable, while the two of them are totally replaceable. They just don't know what side Angel will be fighting on. Boone arrives at the Hyperion with a bag of, with the bag of loot, and we understand that the two of them are going to fight for it. We cut to Angel in front of Anne's desk at the teen shelter, where he is beaten up and bloodied, and plops the bag on her desk. It's about $2.5 million instead of the 100000 or so uh, of it that Wolfram and Hart would have parted with. Um, she says she's going to hide the money, 
There's a big sta uh, stain on a stack of the cash, and when Anne sees it, she asks Angel, what's this? Angel replies, blood. <laughs> she says, it'll wash. Take a bow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what did you think of this episode, Ruben? <laughs> I like this episode. Solid. I give it a B. Um, someone, maybe Jess Whedon, maybe Tim Mynear, maybe the author of this episode, really likes westerns, apparently. And they, mm -hmm. they felt like the existence of Boone wasn't enough to tip off that this was a western episode about a showdown. Um, they had to include that western theme thing. Uh, I mean, I don't have many complaints. I feel like they, I mean, in general, when Wes and Gunn and Cordelia are running their own separate agency, that they have a little trouble working them in as the B storyline. But the only reason I give it a B as opposed to a higher grade is just because I don't feel like it's like a deep episode. But mm -mm. it's fun and it mm -hmm. it's solid and... Uh, I love talking about Anne, which we'll get to later. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently we have slightly differing opinions. Um, yeah, I think this episode also I gave it a B. Um, I think it's a very fun, um, well-paced sort of story build. Um, I don't think that it's without its sort of diving into sort of the arc, I guess, of the episode or of the uh, season or maybe maybe you think it is too but I feel like we are sort of getting into some territories where it is um showcasing angels you know like less and less caring of doing the right thing and more and more just trying to like screw with, screw with Wolfram and Hart um but yeah, yeah I think it's it's well done I um, mean it's it's I guess it's character building or really more in this case character underlining because it's like angel did a kind of ambiguous bad thing. Angel did mm -hmm. a kind of ambiguous bad thing. I wonder what's going to happen in the next episode. Is Angel going to do a kind of ambiguous bad thing? <laughs> Probably. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sort and of then, building on that momentum. And then something's going to happen in the episode Epiphany, and then Angel will stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah, I, I think that there were a lot of really great moments in here. Um, I I love the Western sort of like setup with the showdown, the duel, and uh, with Boone. I think Boone is a great character. The yeah, you wanted to talk honor, about Boone, so let's start there. <laughs> the, his honor and integrity and like gentlemanliness <laughs> is just so amazing. He's like this old style sort of like very, you know, very western kind of character where it's like yeah maybe he's on the dark side of things but at the same time he's got integrity and i i think he's he's really fun i really wish that there was more boon <laughs> one of episode. the cool things i think about angel as opposed to buffy even though i prefer buffy as a show is that angel shows a wider variety of demon life like demons mm -hmm. are not just like the scary dudes that Eight humans or whatever even though there's plenty of those as well mm -hmm. that like mm -hmm. a lot of demons maybe they don't have a soul but they also aren't really committed to like the destruction of humanity they're just like <laughs> dudes dudes going through life <laughs> <laughs> one way or another yeah and i mean we see that here in both boone and merle right yeah. like i mean merle is 
justifiably sort of like bad in that he's doing everything for his like own selfish reasons but he's not nefarious you know like he's not like plotting against anybody he's just trying to trying to make ends meet the poor guy yeah no one will give him any money for all the work that he does it's very sad no just just punches Poor Merle. I actually, I, I feel for him because he's he's got all of this information and it comes at a cost to him, unfortunately. But he's still kind of chipper and makes jokes, <laughs> which is great. So, but yeah, back to Boone. I think he's a, he's a wonderful character. I think the, um, the like sort of subtext or not subtext, but like the, the sort of what Lila and Lindsay aren't realizing is kind of a setup that happens is really nice. It's a nice touch, nice play where it's kind of like, well, you know, we might as well work together, Angel and I, <laughs> because these people seem like asshats <laughs> um, before getting down to, to business that was left un, unsolved or unsettled. But um yeah, I think it's a really nice part of the episode, that character. Yeah, and I think part of the reason why the twist is uh, believable is um, in a sense that Boone kind of doesn't lie to them. Like, it makes it's easier, like, you know, obviously professional actors are good at acting, but if we're imagining that Boone is just a dude or whatever, and the idea that, like, just dudes can just walk up to people and trick them into believing them like one of the things that Boone does is like he sort of just never lies he's like I have a score to settle with Angel which is true this Mm -hmm. is the reason why I want to get with Angel and he's like and then Angel's going to come after you and he's going to find me all of those things are things that that are going to, to happen and he even originally is like He's like, I'm doing this for honor. You don't have to give me money. And they're like, no, we have to pay you. It's a professional relationship. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they no, really just great. walk into it on their own. <laughs> it's a bit hasty. It's a little bit like, oh, you're this dude who's really threatening and just showed up offering to help us? Well, no questions needed. <laughs> <laughs> Seems legit. Here's the thing that I like. <laughs> Angel comes to find us, but he finds you. <laughs> Fun Lindsay one. Um, it's a good one. So yeah, continuing in the arc of uh, this part of the season, uh, Angel has now decided that, you know, his job isn't just to stop demons from being raised or save people who are in trouble and put them on their path. His job is now to torment villains as well. <laughs> um, so he breaks into Lila's car and freaks her out. And uh, even his whole plan is um, pretty suspect because at least at the time, it seems like Anne is going to get no money and his kids could really use that money even if... Uh, all the rest of it could potentially go to Wolfram and Hart to do terrible things. Um. Blood money. (laughs) Angel. I don't know. I think Angel also, like, the fact that he stalks uh, Anne, like, very... (laughs) Yeah. Like, in a very, like, creepy 
way like there are other ways he could have probably have gone about trying to figure out what the connection was i guess like maybe sure. by just being up front and saying like hey lady <laughs> what's going on have a feeling that you're working with wolfram and hart what's the connection there <laughs> like you know what i mean um it's Vampires just have like, a tendency towards stalking for some reason spike, so. spike always stalks people too <laughs> <sighs> just such a creepy move and he admits to her that he's been stalking her as well which obviously sets her on a like well okay i don't trust you at all and obviously wolfram and hart who's been doing like really good things for me is uh, and the teen center and the kids who are here i'm going to put my faith in rather than this creepy vampire dude who's like totally admitted to stalking me and stealing my wallet um yeah it's just it's like the way that angel goes about dealing with her is so um suspect and so uh not like how somebody with integrity or goodness on their side would theoretically go about tackling a situation <laughs> you know what i mean they like did, he just kind of mm -hmm. doesn't care they did meet before and either one or both of them forgot or they're both pretending that they forgot i it seems like they don't recognize each other to yeah. me Maybe the writers forgot that they met each other. <laughs> I feel like there's got to be some write-up about this somewhere where it's explained. <laughs> it was three years ago. She's changed a lot since then. She was going by Chanterelle then. And... She's no longer <laughs> worshipping vampires. <laughs> yeah. I'm going based off my memory. Angel was there, but maybe they didn't specifically run into each other at the, like, vampire worshippers party. Yeah. I feel like they met, but maybe maybe not. And then uh, Chanterelle hmm. takes on Buffy's identity as the waitress that she um, became when she ran to yeah. L.A. So name. Anne. We never learned exactly. Anne's real name. Anne Steele is what's on her uh, driver's license. Yeah, but her name before that was Lily, and her name before that was Chanterelle, and her name before that was... <laughs> sunshine or something like that mm -hmm. and she's had a lot of identities running yeah. away from something yeah not anymore though um so i guess uh, uh unless you have anything else to say about angel going dark dark angel which is a different can i just say <laughs> dark angel <laughs> um i love the scene with angel in lila's car i think he's like i think that his Boreanaz's commitment to like just being like fuck you I just don't even <laughs> care anymore whatever like suck it it's just it's so uh authentic it's so really well done and like it doesn't feel at all forced like sometimes you can have Boreanaz moments where you're like mm, I don't really buy this I bought it it was good I think his best performances are always almost always when he's being petty so, like, mm -hmm. this is, like, angry petty. <laughs> He's like, hey, uh, they haven't killed me so far, and a part of me doesn't really care if I die, so I got that going for me as well. I guess I'll just do whatever I want, since that's what they do to me. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. It's really well done. And you're right. He is, uh, Boreanaz is at his best when he's petty. <laughs> angry petty is really fun to watch, though. <laughs> Uh, Anne. So I'm going to say something super hyperbolic, which is that Anne is not my favorite character or the best actress on the show. 
but she might be the most important character in the entire Weedenverse. And the reason why Whoa. Anne is so important is that we never get to see the people who are saved uh, by Angel or Buffy or the gang, except for her. And we get to see what a life might be like when people go out of their way to care for you. She learns how to do the same thing for other people. And uh, in my opinion, she gets maybe, even though this is all the way in season five, my favorite line in the entire show, when Gunn comes up to her and is like, what would you do if I told you that there are forces more powerful than you can imagine that work behind the scenes and they will never let it get better down here? She goes, I'd get this truck loaded with these couches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's interesting to view her as a mirror kind of to Angel in that sense where it's like they both have had a lot of negative experiences and have been really affected by them, but have both kind of had to grow into themselves because of them. And they're both willing to do the wrong thing for a greater good. It seems to me. Also, another thing that I like about Anne, she's, even though she's really cool and attractive, she's never played as a romantic interest for any of the characters. Oh, that's, yeah, I mean, big bonus. And just has her own separate life that has nothing to do with these people. Maybe she's asexual. Maybe she is in a committed relationship that we never see. Maybe she dates around town. Who knows? Who cares? <laughs> it's not important. <laughs> and her own free-living lady. Passes the Bechdel test. <laughs> Uh, not this episode. She doesn't talk to Cordelia, but the next one she does. Truth. <laughs> and I guess if you want to talk about... Uh, they technically talk about boys, but not dating them. Stopping them from committing violent crimes. <laughs> <laughs> not sure if that falls under the purview, but yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else you want to say about Anne? Well, I think that covers it. I mean, she's like she's a likable character, but she is accepting in either case, you know what I mean? Like knowing that there's blood on the money both figuratively and literally and taking it regardless is sort of like That was you know, money that shows... celebrities wanted to give to her cause and they stole it so that Wolfram and Hart didn't take any of it. So <laughs> still stealing and yeah. still the fact that um if they had gotten the money um legitimately i guess like through wolfram and hart taking their cuts their multiple cuts off the top <laughs> no. um that would have been used she probably to isn't gonna pay things. taxes on it so you got me there she should be paying taxes on that money but I, <laughs> that's if, she, not... <laughs> if she pays taxes on it then she'd have to um admit that they stole it <laughs> <laughs> no it's more that it's not the admitting that they stole it it's the fact that it's stolen it's like the people who anyway i had this uh, discussion before once with um 
Marsha, which is I am very pro-stealing. <laughs> I'm extremely <laughs> pro-stealing when it comes to large corporations. And I'm still fairly pro-stealing even when it comes to individuals, as long as they're rich. Sure. <laughs> it's the Robin Hood thing, right? I mean, you don't have to give it to other people. You can keep it for yourself. <laughs> wow, I just, okay. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I think that if you're rich or if you're a big corporation, you're probably stealing to begin with. So why not steal it back from them? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> Even mm -hmm. if you're not the one specifically suffering. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, technically, if... Okay, so let's put me into Anne's situation. <laughs> Hypothetically, yes, I want to help these teens who are at risk, who are having a hard time, who have addictions, mental health issues, have no support whatsoever. Super important. Working with a company that is graciously, I guess, helping uh, keep the center alive and having like a big event where people are donating to the cause of the center, but then also the company has had to, you know, foot certain bills for like space rentals <laughs> for like getting uh, celebrities to come or to hire caterers or whatever it is that's involved. Like granted, that's probably not 95% of what the, like, you know, the fundraising was supposed to go toward, but you know, at least let's say 5% probably would have covered the overhead for that situation. Well, we so, can like, consider part of that Wolfman Hart's gracious donation to the teens. <laughs> <laughs> they paid for all the food and the space and uh, forced their celebrity clients to come. <laughs> uh, all right, Ruben. All right. I'll give you this one. I mean, you're allowed to have different you. morals than me. You don't have to agree with my morals, but I very, you know, I had pro-redistribution of wealth, and Wolfram and Hart has way too much of it. <laughs> Those teens don't have any. And there's a connection there, in my mind. So, one of us is a dirty communist, and one of us isn't. <laughs> <laughs> One of us just still considers it stealing, but like stealing from the people who are donating, right? Because like they, well, anyway. Those people are rich too. <laughs> Fair enough. So I hope that she's able to hide that money somehow and use it when necessary. <laughs> Doesn't get caught by the IRS. Well, the, the shelter's still open and she's still not in jail in season five, so... I think Perfect. it worked out. I'm guessing, if I had to guess, if we were to have like a really boring behind-the-scenes episode, uh, not behind-the-scenes of the show, but behind-the-scenes of Wolfram and Hart, they were like, had a discussion, and they were like, so should we go after them to try to get the money? And it's like, if we tell the cops to go get the money that was donated to the shelter because they stole it, what's it going to make yeah. us look like? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't put them in the best light. Yeah. Um, so that's my... I'm just impressed they managed to raise $2.5 million yeah. with what looked like an audience of, like, 200 people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They should have paid for more extras, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. People were giving away, like, necklaces and stuff like that. It just, um, it fits into the robbery theme. We don't really have a way to transition into this, but one of the things that 
does work about um, Wesley Gunn and Cordelia breaking off with Angel for five or six episodes is Wes and Gunn friendship, which is fun. They're fun buddy cups. I don't really have anything to say about it, but I enjoy <laughs> them together. <laughs> I mean, it's a They're very so obvious funny. gag. Wesley is extraordinarily prissy and white, and Gunn is neither of those things. <laughs> But they still have a very clear bond. <laughs> and lots of good quips. And lots of quippiness. Um, maybe they were trying to save money, or maybe they just thought it was cool, but like a lot of this uh, episode doesn't actually show the action. So like we see Wes and Gunn running towards the monster and being like, ah! And then they're telling the story to Cordelia. And it's the same thing with Angel and Boone at the end. They're like, mm-hmm. ah! And then cuts and the money being thrown. Um, but I just, I really enjoy Wesson Gunn's story to Cardelia, where they're talking up how amazing it was, and she's like, you weren't scared? And they were like, I've never been more scared in my life. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> crap in my pants, praying to Jesus, scared. <laughs> Good story. Yeah. It's cute when they're, like, confronting the demon and we don't see the cut to the demon, obviously. It's just like, I thought she said he breathed fire. <laughs> no, it was, it was really jokes. well played to affect the, um, the cut, like the not showing the actual action. Yeah. It's, it's a nice one. They had to save all of that money for the extras. Joking, joking. Normally when there's an episode where it seems like they didn't have a lot of money, it means that there's some other episode around that that they spent a lot of money on. But mm. I'm not positive what that would be. I bet that Darla jumping off a building gag cost cost some money. Yeah. <laughs> um. Mm-hmm. And then we were just gonna wrap up by talking about the fact that a very big plot point, um, perhaps the greatest lampshade in the history of lampshading, uh, <laughs> is in this episode, which is like. You know, Wolfram and Hart isn't, like, the mayor or something like that. Like, they have all these resources. Why don't they just, like, blow up Hyperion Hotel or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> with Angel inside of it? And we find out why. It's Angel is super valuable to them. Prophesized to be a key part of the upcoming apocalypse. Although they're not sure whether he's going to be fighting for the side of good or evil. Mm-hmm. Bum, bum, bum. So their job is to make him evil. Which they're mm-hmm. succeeding. <laughs> they're doing a good job at it. It's just so funny that it's like... Up until this point, Lindsay and Lila had no idea why they were like just, you know, messing with this dude. <laughs> like yeah let's like make him go crazy let's make him go mean it's like i guess so yeah that's our job (laughs) this feels like it falls within like the context of special projects it makes no questions needed more sense for like a older like industrial job than like a lawyer that like you know they just like turn one widget but they have no idea what thing there is they're actually making they just like put one piece on and then another person puts another piece on and then the car comes out at the end. <laughs> True. And they're like, Critical ah. thought? Yeah. Nah. 
Um, but I am. Um, I love Nathan Reed. I think he is. He's not as cool good as Holland also. Manners, but he's still good. He's a lot better Nobody... than, uh, than the guy who was at the end of the episode where Holland dies, where he's like, "Yeah, you are." He's like doing a um, God, what's his name? Um, the Australian actor in The Matrix, who's the agent. Uh, uh, he's doing an impression of that guy. I want to say Z, but I don't think that's it. <laughs> anyway. Um, and he's like, you two are failures, <laughs> but with healthy competition. I'm like, what is going on here? But this guy, I like Nathan. Um, and I like Nathan's him. great. Yeah. His look is like, first of all, my favorite thing. <laughs> like those glasses are bomb. Like he looks so good and still stylish today. Like I, I think, you know, if I saw that dude walking down the street, I would be like, I'm going to put you in my street style blog, <laughs> assuming those things are still existing. But like, he, he just looks so good. And the way that he talks to like, talks down to Lila and Lindsay and really puts them in their place, but without being like, shitty about it like just being very matter of fact is really nice like it's very he's he's very likable you're right he's no holland manners um i don't think any of uh the superiors at wolfram and hart can meet those uh specific qualities and traits that made holland so great but um he's a big improvement over the next guy though i don't like him at all The next guy who's going to well, be Lila's boss. We'll have to appreciate Nathan Reed while we can. Yeah. It's a great name, too. <laughs> like, dude's, dude's the best. So far. Well, not so far. After Holland. <laughs> He's also super believable as a lawyer. Oh, totally. <laughs> if he were in a lineup with some random people, I'd be like, that guy's a lawyer. <laughs> or an accountant. It's a lawyer or an accountant. Maybe a, a lawyer for accountants. <laughs> too too stylish, I would say, to be an accountant mm. or a lawyer for accountants. <laughs> he looks like he looks like a CEO about, of an advertising agency to me. What about an accountant for the best lawyers in the world? <laughs> the best accountant? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Doesn't doesn't ring as a, an accountant to me. He's just like those frames. Like I feel if you're a bald dude, like a bald like Bald dude of any type or stripe, like those frames will look awesome on you. Anyway, I just think he's well, uh, well suited, I like well thick decorated as well. That's it. Uh, let me look at some <laughs> trivia and stuff over here. Um, mm-hmm. Yep, I was right. Angel and Anne had briefly met and lied to me. Uh, It's likely but not certain that the two did not recognize each other. Something episode writer Mir Smith confirmed to be a conscious decision on her part. Lies. Oh. <laughs> she just forgot. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, no, no, they're not supposed to recognize each other. Um, we mentioned this pre-podcast, but during the fundraiser, a woman asked one of the TV actresses why her character had been made gay and if it had just been for ratings. This is, of course, a joke. On Willow. 
not on Willow, a joke on the audience. Um, about Willow. It's a cute nod. And Anne confesses that she used to think the vampires were the coolest. Angel asks her what happened, and she replies she met one. This is, of course, Spike. In German, this was called Schmutzige Geld, Dirty Money. And in French, it was called Argent Sale, which also means dirty money. <laughs> Anne doesn't have the Ricky tattoo she had in Anne. That's not necessarily a goof. She could have gotten it removed. But it would seem kind of out of character for her. Yeah. Or maybe she's the type of person who wants to just leave one life entirely behind when she goes to the next one. But she's willing Which to, I would buy. Which she's she's willing to talk about having been Chanterelle, though. Okay, that's it. Not very much trivia and stuff on this episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. If so, subscribe using your podcast listening application and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. But uh, for now, this podcast is the one good thing we ever did together, Kara. The only good thing. You make sure to tell the world that. Bye! Bye!